Lord, we know that living you loved us and dying our, you saved us and buried you carried our sins far away. What a great and mighty God you are. Thank you, Lord, for redeeming these us lost people, us sinners. Lord, thank you for loving us anyhow, even while we were yet your enemy. Lord, you are to be worshipped and praised and adored and to be obeyed. You are worthy. You are the only one that is worthy. Lord, today we're going to study your word, Lord. We want to hear from your Holy Spirit. We want to hear what you have to say to the church, each and every one of us on our level and our walk of life. We know that you speak loud and clear because your word is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. And Lord, we know that. So Lord, we, we thank you today. Be blessed is your holy name, Lord. May the message go forth from this pulpit to um, whoever you have divine appointment with on that uh, internet, Lord. Father, we pray that you open their eyes, their ears, their hearts, and give them the courage to say yes to Jesus and invite him into their heart. And Lord, we'll give you the glory and the praise forever. Lord, as we study your word here now, Lord, I pray that you would guide it to our hearts, even here on our level. And whatever we work or do, so that we're able to tell our colleagues about Jesus Christ, him crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected according to the scriptures. Now, Lord, with services yours, thank you for being here in our midst. We know that you are here because you live in our hearts. And not only that, your word says about two or three gathered together in your name. There you are in the midst. So, Father, help us to realize that you are right here, right now, today, in this place. So, Lord, we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, church. Get your Bibles out. Turn to Matthew chapter 12. But before we go on, I know there's a new crew of people that might have came in on the Internet. So I have to tell you that we're, this is Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're located in Lantana, Florida, which is just south of West Palm Beach and uh, just north of Boynton Beach. And we are on High Paluxo Road, which is the dividing line between Boynton Beach and Lantana. I am and uh, High Paluxo Road in Lantana. So if you're local, come on by every Sunday at 10 a.m. and every Thursday night at 7:15. You all, you just go on the 95 when you get off. Get to go to High Paluxo Road, head west about a quarter mile. And we're on the north side of the road, 2810 High Paluxo Road in Lantana, Florida. 2810 High Paluxo Road, Lantana, Florida. You can go to our website for those online, freedomchurchpb.org, freedomchurchpb.org, and you can find out all about us. You can read our beliefs. You can find our address. You can see our list of ministries. You can uh, even watch services from the past. You can even give online should the Lord lead you. So uh, i got to remember, you know, and I want the world to remember, and I want the church to remember, the, the work of Christ goes on. We have to support it. You know, the enemy tried to snuff things out a while back in the last two and a half years. And you know what? He can try all he wants, but the gospel goes forth. Remember, we studied in Philippians on Thursday night not too long ago. Paul said, I'm chained, but the gospel's not. You know, 
So praise the Lord. The gospel goes forth any you know anyhow. Even the Lord even opens up opportunity for us to teach around the world with this internet program. But anyway, every Sunday at 10 a.m., if you're, you know, you can tune in online, freedomchurchpb.org. PB stands for Palm Beach, freedomchurchpb.org. We're here every Sunday at 10 a.m. We're here every Thursday night at 7.15. We're in Philippians chapter 4 this coming Thursday at the Bible study. If you're local men, we have a men's Bible study right here in our fellowship room, and uh, it starts at... uh, at 9 a.m. in the morning, 9 a.m. We've got a good group of guys. One fellow's a pastor from another church. We've got several different churches represented. We've got some young people and older people. So, um, you know, stop on by. It's a good time. Men open up. We learn the gospel. And we challenge, you know, one another with our faith. So, so come on by. Okay. It's time to uh, study. We're commanded not asked if we would study and show ourselves approved unto God. We're commanded to do that. So, and how else are you going to grow? You know, you grow in the Spirit by feeding the Spirit, and the Word of God here feeds your spirit. So, and that way you grow stronger every day. Well, then I turn to, you know, um, Matthew chapter 12, and I'm going to start, I'm going to backtrack a couple verses into last week's study. Okay. So I'm going to go up to the um, 28th verse, and I'm going to read to the 37th verse, okay? This is the New American Standard Bible, so if it's a little different than yours, that's what this one is. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come among you. Remember, the Pharisees are trying to nail Jesus. They're, they're, they have rejected him, and they're trying to get rid of him, okay? So Jesus does an amazing miracle, casts out a demon, and, uh, and they accuse Jesus of casting out demons by the prince of the demons. And Jesus is going to give them a lesson. So here it is. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house unless he carry off his property and he binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He is binding the devil everywhere he goes. He's binding the devil. You know, he's he's going to the strong man's house. We learned last week that the strong man's house is, is the occupier, is the devil that's trying to keep that door closed. But Jesus said in order to cast out a devil... You got to, you got to um, uh, plunder his house by something more powerful. And, of course, Jesus is showing us that he has authority over devils. If you notice that many times in the Scripture when you're reading or even studying, you know, the demons knew who Jesus was. They know who Jesus was, you know, and uh, they were feared, fearful of him. And when he said go, they went. They went. So he, this is what's happening here. The Pharisees think they got a, a, another hand on him because he's healing on the Sabbath day, and he's casting out demons, and they accuse him of casting out demons by the prince of the demons. But that's not true. Jesus is binding the strong man up, and he's going to plunder the house, and that's what the church is supposed to do. Jesus has bound up the strong man at the cross. 
he made an open spectacle of the devil on the on uh, of the devil's power over men, which he doesn't have anymore. Jesus uh, cast him out. He crashed his skull. So Jesus is binding the strong man right now, so that we, the church, can enter the strong man's house and bring people to the Lord. That's the way I look at the verse. That's one of the applications for it. He who is with me. Is he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Very simple. You know, that verse is not very long, but it's very simple to discern. You're either for Jesus or against Jesus. There's no middle ground. For Jesus or against Jesus. So take your pick. If you, make, if you don't take any pick, you're, you know, you're siding with a no, uh, a no side, and you will not be saved. That's what the Jesus says. Jesus was very specific. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Unless you believe that I am the name of God, you will die in your sins. Unless you're born again, you won't be able to see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was very bold about it as to who he was. So I wanted you to know that, you know, we come to this chapter. This, chap this part of the chapter is on the unpardonable sins. And I named this chapter Rejecting the Holy Spirit's Voice. That's something that happens to everybody on this earth, rejecting the, hear, uh, the Holy Spirit's voice. So let me read straight through this, 31 to 37. Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and the fruit bad. For, a, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For, for the mouth, out of his mouth come the treasures of evil. Let me read that again. The good man brings out of his good treasure that which is good and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil but I tell you that every careless word that people speak they will give an account for it in the day of judgment for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned So here we find out that the Holy Spirit is being rejected by the Pharisees. This is the religious leaders. The people figured it out. And we'll touch on that a little later. But verse 31 and 32, let me read them again. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven, either in this age or or in the age to come. come. Two times in that verse, Jesus is telling you that blasphemy against the Spirit, you will not be forgiven. We're going to find out what that is today. There's a remedy for sin. As there's no doubt about it. There's a remedy for sin, and that is the blood of Christ, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. The Holy Spirit, and everyone on the face of the earth, the Holy Spirit is is uh, applying this to your life. He's trying to tell you who is the Messiah. He's trying to direct you towards God. 
But if you resist it, there will be no remedy. There is no remedy. Here's what blasphemy is. I looked it up in the dictionary for you. It's slander, opposition towards, showing contempt, irreverence for the Holy Spirit. But just the opposite of that is what the Pharisees should be doing, and the people are doing it. That's the opposite is an antonym, and it means to worship and glorification and adoration. These Jews pretended that they were of God, but they really weren't of God. If Jesus told us here in, in the chapter that they're bearing bad fruit, not good fruit. They're a bad tree bearing bad fruit. The Pharisees are rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit. They have no other way to combat Jesus except blame his healing ministry on, on him being a devil himself by casting out devils by devils. But Jesus said this, because, you know, because I cast out devils in the, name of, in the name of God, then the kingdom of God is with you. They were now not just rejecting and blaspheming Jesus, but the Holy Spirit as well. So you people make fun of you. You hear it all the time. People take the name of the Lord in vain all the time. You know, but, you know, you, you, God will forgive you. But don't, bla don't, don't um, think that you're going to be forgiven if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So even in the churches, you know, pastors are blasting other pastors and, and stuff like that. You know what? They're, they're attacking their own brothers, and we need to stop that. You know, because the bottom line, as I tell you all the time, is the foundation which is in Jesus Christ. You can find it in Matthew chapter 7. When the rains descend, the wise man built his house on the rock. When the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house, it did not fall before it was because it was founded on the rock. It was founded on the rock. They're blaspheming the Holy Spirit as well. They're attributing the Spirit's work to, a, to the devil. And Jesus told them they're on shaky ground. They're on shaky ground by doing such a thing. Here's John, chapter 16, of verse 8 through 11. I'm going to read it. And when he comes, that's reference to the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus talking. And when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they did not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more and of judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. So what is the impardonable sin? Every day, mankind, I don't care if you're the pygmy in Africa, every day you see his invisible attributes. You see the sky, you see the trees, you see the ground that produces your food, you see the animals, you see the stars at night and the moon, all those are just hanging on nothing. He says his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Everyone's guilty. Here's what Romans 1.20 says. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that were made. And if you study Scripture well enough, you very well know that Jesus was highly involved in the 
in the creation. Here's what John 1, 3 says. All things came into being by him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. He's talking about Jesus here. The first, the third verse of the Gospel of John. Colossians 1.16 tells us this. For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Jesus is the creator. He made flesh and dwelt among us. God's saying, you can blaspheme Jesus. People do all the time. But don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit because he's the one that's convicting you of sin all the days of your life. I want to read you what J. Vernon McGee says. I like J. Vernon McGee on, on some, some issues, but I touched on it here a little bit. There is no act of sin that you could commit for which there is no forgiveness. Of course, if you resist the Holy Spirit, there is no forgiveness because he is bringing forgiveness. It is like the man who is dying from a certain disease, and the doctor tells him there is a remedy for it, and the man refuses to take the remedy and dies, not from the disease, but from refusing to take the remedy. And that's what the world is doing today. They're, they're refusing to take the remedy. Jesus is the remedy for sins. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He came to make us that are sinners clean before God. He who, he who, he who uh, came forgave our sins, and it's for us to believe in him. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter... Let me, let me finish where J. Vernon McGee said first. There is the remedy for disease of sin, and the Holy Spirit applies it. But if you resist it, there is no longer a remedy. That is the only way... Sin can be unpardonable. So if you boil that down, really, you find out that all of our lives, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, even if you're looking at the creation. But by the time you come to the end of your life, and you have resisted the Holy Spirit all that time, when God was telling you that Jesus Christ is the Lord, you need to receive him as your Savior, you, you, you said no. You kept saying no of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, you are resisting and blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So what is the impardonable sin then? If you go your whole life without listening to the Holy Spirit's testimony of Messiah's redemptive work on the cross, then there is no blood atonement for your sins. Your sins remain. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for your sins. And that's what our Lord and Savior did for us on the cross. They were attributing the attributes of what Jesus was doing to the devil. Here's what Isaiah says to all of us. He says, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as red as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be like wool. So if you confess your sins by not resisting the Holy Spirit, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is refusal to accept the Spirit's testimony as to Jesus' blood's 
sacrifice for your sin, thereby being unable to receive salvation if you don't receive Christ as your Savior, making for the impardonable sin, the rejection of Jesus Christ by the time you enter into the next world. That's what it really is. You know, there was a, a fellow in, um, his name was Charles Templeton, and he was in Billy Graham's ministry when he first began. They were good friends. Finally, it came to the place where Charles Templeton, he said, you know, you can no longer test the Bi- tr- trust the Bible. And he fell away from the Lord. And at the end of his life, he asked somebody, I think it was Billy Graham had asked him, he said, what do you hate, what, what do you miss most about life? And he said, I miss the voice. I miss the voice. Because he denied the Holy Spirit. He missed the voice of God and no longer heard it. I know a lot of people think, well, did I commit the impardonable sin? The answer is probably no. Because you aren't dead yet. You still have a choice and a chance to receive Christ as your Savior and let his blood sacrifice cover your sins or wash your sins away. If you committed the impardonable sins, you wouldn't want to have anything to do with church, Christian people. You're just, you'd be just like be turned off totally to him completely. And you'll miss his voice. I know people that have went to their pastor, and some even came to me thinking they had committed the impardonable sin. Just the fact that they're asking me tells you the truth. They have not because they're worried about it. You wouldn't have. You'd have a, you, your conscience is telling you. So Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 through 37. Either you make the tree good and its fruits good or else make the tree bad and the and its fruit's bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. So here's a fruit inspection comparison. Jesus is saying, your Pharisee's life, you're producing bad fruit. Jesus' life is reflecting the character of God. He's healing people. These people could care less about the lepers that were healed, the blind people that were healed. All they care about is Jesus is working on the Sabbath day. He is working on the Sabbath day. We went through that in the earlier chapters of this verse. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Would you fast if the Lord is with you? No. The king is here. Then he calls him a brood of vipers. How can you be being how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. You heard that computer, uh, I don't know, computer saying, G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. You feed your brain, your heart garbage, it's going to come out here. It's just the way, that's what Jesus is saying to you. You feed yourself good food like the Word of God, guess what? You're going to be speaking the Word of God. You're going to speak life to people and not death. Our word reveals the condition of our heart then. So we've got to be careful. What you're putting into your mind is a hard drive, just like your computer. And it's, a, it's embedded there. Your job as a Christian, once you receive Christ as your Savior, is to get rid of it. Put good things in, and good, you'll get good things out. 
So it's either garbage in and garbage out, or good things in and good things out. It's an easy pick. James 3.6. I'm going to turn there and talk to you for with a little bit about that. And the tongue is a fire, a very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which, is, which defiles the entire body. It sets on fire the courts of your life. And it is set on fire by hell. Your words are powerful. Do you see what it says here? By the tongue of and the tongue of fire is a world of iniquity. Your tongue is an uh, is a world of iniquity. The tongue is set among the members as that which defiles the defiles the whole body. And it, and it sets on fire the course of your life. Your course of life is directed by your mouth. You put garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. You hang around people that are evil, you're going to probably end up evil unless you're powerfully strong enough spiritually to lead them up upward instead of letting them lead you downward. It's It sets on fire the course of your life. It's a powerful tool. It's just like a ship, Paul describes it as. A ship that has a rudder. You know, a ship's a huge ship, but it's guided and directed by a little rudder in the back. And that's the same thing with your little tongue here. Remember I told you years ago that I had, I told you maybe not years ago, but I've told you many times over the years, back when I was a new Christian. I was in a church memorizing Scripture, you know, um, I had a dream. That dream shook me up. The dream was this big black snake was wrapped around me. And I'm standing there like this. My feet, I'm asking, God, use me, use me, use me. Meanwhile, I have a devil encircling me, and I can't get out of that. And then there was a zoom in like a football game. It zoomed in on the play, and it zoomed in on the scale of that snake, and it was like a black ruby. It was beautiful, and, and I thought I was attracted to it. And then I said, I hate snakes, Lord. What does this mean? So I woke up from that dream, and for weeks, I believe it was, I was trying to figure out what, that, what God was trying to tell me. I thought, what could it be? Am I, am I a adulterator, a fornicator, a liar, a cheater, a stealer, or a drug addict, a drunk? You tell me. You know what he told me? I, after a while, he finally answered me. He said, it was your tongue. Your, your tongue will bring you, get you bound up by the enemy, and God can't use you. If you talk like your colleagues and walk like your colleagues and do what your colleagues do, you're going to become like them. You're going to start speaking like them. You're going to start acting like them. You remember Peter, when the night of Jesus' betrayal, Peter, Peter followed Jesus from a distance. Until he went before the Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. He's following him from a distance. So if you follow God from a distance, it don't work real well. So what happened to Peter? He found himself, you know, 
in the same crowd of people hanging out with the people that are condemning Jesus. And before they know it, he, they're saying to him, you were with Jesus. And he said, no, I wasn't. Then he denied it. Next thing you know, we see him in a fire. You know, he's warming himself in a fire. And the same girl, it looks like, said to him, surely you were Jesus. Your, your, your accent gives you away. And he denied it again. He denied Jesus by staying far back from him. So what happened to Jesus? You see the progression to worse? He followed Jesus from a distance. If you're following Jesus from a distance, you're in a bad shape. You'll find yourself in the enemy camp now, warming yourself in his fire. Now you're acting like them and doing the same things they're doing. And you can deny him that way. You follow him from a distance. You end up warming yourself at the fire. And then when they accused him the third time, he started cussing and swearing and crying and ran away. Don't follow Jesus from a distance. It's either all the way or no way. It's not warm and it's not, not lukewarm. It's either red hot or cold, cold. That's just the way it is. Remember, we read that in one of the verses there. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. See, God loves you so much, he's going to give you your whole lifetime to repent and receive him as your Savior. God loves you that much. The Lord has taken the wrath, the penalty for our sins out on his son. Let me read Isaiah 51, chapter, verse 28. 51, verse 22, I'm sorry. 51. Thus says the Lord, the God, even your God, who contends for his people. Here's what he's saying to you. Listen. Behold, I have taken out of your hand the cup of railing, the chalice of my anger, you will never drink it again. Jesus took the cup of God's wrath out of our hands and put it on his son. God is angry about sin. The only way he's going to judge you for your sin is if you don't allow Jesus to pay for that Pay for the, the sin, your sin by refusing him as, as your Savior and your Lord. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. You shall drink it no longer. For anyone that, that doesn't know God, if you come to Jesus and you fulfill that commitment or you, you take the, the, uh, the advice and accept Jesus as your Savior, you'll no longer drink the wrath of God. Jesus, I mean, Jesus took it for you. He who knew no sin became sin that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, Jesus drank every last drop. One version says he took the dregs, and a dreg means a drop. He took every last drop of the wrath of God against sin for us. And all you got to do is receive it. And people out there say, oh, no, I can't. What would my parents think? What would my friends think? They'll be calling me holy ruler and stuff like that. 
And they, they, they deny him, and they go to hell because they were fearful. That's why if you heard me pray, I always prayed most of the time at the end of my service for people that do, you know, that receive Christ, that God would give them the courage to step up out of the chair and come to the altar and accept Jesus as their Savior and make a confession before maybe a bunch of people here and over the Internet that they now accepted Jesus. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. These scribes and Pharisees are far off. They aren't willing to, to, to accept that Jesus is the Messiah and, drink, and, and, and that he drank every last drop of the wrath of God against them. He's taken it out of our way. He's taken it out of your way. And he placed it on his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. As I mentioned many times in my teachings, you know, there's three imputations in Scripture of sin. Adam's sin is imputed on you. Jesus' righteousness is imputed to believers, to those who believe. And then man's sin is imputed to Jesus. We get the righteousness of God. It didn't cost us anything. The antidote that J. Vernon McGee mentioned here is the, re is the antidote for sin. All you've got to do is receive Christ as your Savior. It's that simple. The common people here, so we've been studying in this chapter all along, they are connecting the dots. They're believing Jesus is the Messiah. They're seeing them, him heal the lepers and feed the, feed the hungry. They see him healing the blind people. They see lame people weakens, uh, leaping. Demons are being cast out. The dead are raised. The, the, the common people are just connecting the dots. It's easy. You need to connect the dots. Who else do you know that can lay their hands on a leper and him be healed right before your eyes? Who do you know that comes bound up with 2,000 to 6,000 demons and Jesus rebukes them and the guy gets up and he's in his, in his right mind? How many of you people know that you can pull out a little lunch and feed 10,000 people, including women and children? Nobody. Scribes and Pharisees, they don't care. Jesus is messing with them, their pocketbook. People are following after Jesus, and it hurts them. They value money more than anything else. They're reasoning together, the common people. They addressed him as the son of David. That is a messianic term. They understand that this could be the Messiah. On the other hand, the Pharisees are blinded in their religion and their legal legalism and their traditions. Their traditions. You can't heal on the Sabbath day. Why are your disciples eating the wheat as they're going through the wheel? It's a Sabbath. You can't do that. Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. By the way, the Lord of the Sabbath is right here with them. See, their fruit is rotten. Because they're attributing the good works that Jesus is doing to the devil. And they are 
on the borderline of committing the impardonable sin. Believe me, God doesn't want them to commit the impardonable sin, and neither does God want anybody out there here to commit the impardonable sin. There's only two types of men in the, in the world. There's good men and bad men. You're, not, you're only made good by Jesus. Somebody said to me, you're a good man, Pastor Joe. I said, nobody's good except God, because I'm a sinner just like you guys. The unpardonable sin, again, is rejecting the Holy Spirit's voice. He calls them a brood of vipers, and that's what they really are. They sink their fangs in you so that you don't follow Messiah, and then you end up dead from their poison. I know we passed out some flyers there, and I want you to just follow along with me. Here's what you should be saying, or you should be pondering, all those out there over the Internet and all those here. The common people are calling Jesus the Messiah. But who do you say he is? Question number one. Who do you say Jesus is? When he came to, this is uh, it's a point number one in your notes there. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say the Son of Man is? Who do the people say the Son of Man is? They said, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, and others and uh, other prophets. But who do you say I am? So Peter speaks up and he says, you are the Son of God. Who does the Father say Jesus is? While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So, Peter says, you know, he knows who he is, the Messiah, the Son of God. The Father says that he's well pleased and he's his beloved Son. So who does Jesus say he is? Turn to John, John chapter 8, verse 24. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am, and I am there is the name of God, connected to Exodus chapter 20 when Moses was at the burning bush, unless you believe I am, you will die in your sins. So Jesus says a lot about himself. He says if you don't receive him or follow him, you're going to die in your sins. He also said, I'm the bread of life on the cross, I mean, uh, before the cross. He also said he's the door. He also said he's the light of the world. He also said he's a good shepherd. He's the, he is the resurrection and a life, he said. And he said, he's the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except by him. And he also said, I'm the genuine vine. I'm for real. This is genuine stuff you're learning here. Even the demons say this. An impure spirit cried out, what do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I who know who you, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
Even the devils know. Peter knows. The Father knows. The people know. Devils know, but you don't know. Something wrong with that picture. Even demons recognize him. Question number two. And what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? You know what you need to do? You need to receive him as your Savior and your Lord. But as many, John chapter 1, but as many as received Christ, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So what shall you do? You need to receive him. First Thessalonians 5.9 tells you this. God has not appointed anybody, any man for wrath. He's appointed you for obtaining salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Obtaining means you have to take it. You have to receive it. You have to receive him as your Savior. Point number three. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. James, the apostle, tells us that double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. This is time for you to make a direct call as to whether you're going to follow Jesus or, or reject him. Everyone has that choice, and that is the antidote for the penalty of sin, which is eternal death, separation from God, into a place prepared for the devil and his angels, not for mankind. For you young people that are here, new, new believers too, Joshua 1.8 at the bottom of your page there, on the left-hand side, this book of the law, this book of the law, it shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. That you might be careful to do according to what is written in it. You have to make a choice. To make no choice is a no decision. You're not following Jesus. For those over the internet and here. Question number four. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? What's going to happen to all these multi-billionaires in the world when they die and reject Jesus? All their money's going to somebody else. It's going to be dispersed out because it's not going to pay their way to heaven. Only the blood of Christ is able to pay your way to heaven. This was holy blood that was shed. Why would you give up an eternity if you might only have 50 years to your life left, or two years? What will it profit you? Question number five. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You don't want to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Here's what you do to be saved. 
You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that what he said is true. I'm the resurrection and the life. And what he said is true. Because I live, you can live also. And even Romans, Paul's writing to the Romans, he says, whoever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, he shall be saved. And then question number eight. That's easy enough to, or number six, I'm sorry, but that's easy enough to do. What must you do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And believe has a, as a verb, as I always say, adhere to, trust in, and rely on Him for everything. That's what you have to do to be saved. Receive Him as your Savior. Simple. Ask Him into your heart with your heart, not your head. Numbers, question number six, how will you escape if we neglect such a great salvation? That's what, the, that's what this is all about. How, how could you escape if you neglect such a, a great salvation? You don't have to do anything but believe and receive him as your Savior. Remember, God sent us a son. We celebrate it every Christmas, every year on December 25th. Here's what the scriptures say in Isaiah chapter 9. For a child will be born to you, a son will be given to you, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And listen to his names. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Who else do you know that carries those names? You know, God told us about it 750 years before Christ ever showed up. You've got to remind yourself as to who Jesus is. He's the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Then you must remind yourself who you're dealing with here. Here's Hebrews 10.29. Let me turn to it. Read it out of the book here. Hebrews 10. Verse 29. How much severer punishment do you think he will receive who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded his as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and you have insulted the Spirit of grace. By rejecting Jesus Christ, you have resolved, uh, you have, uh, you have, Turn against the Holy Spirit by rejecting Jesus Christ. You regarded the blood that shed was Jesus shed on the cross. You regarded it as nothing. It's useless. This is God's blood hitting the ground. That's why the earth was quaking. The, the clouds were thundering. 
That's why the veil in the temple was torn. That's why the, the centurion threw, you know, bowed down on the ground most likely and said, surely this is the Son of God. i never seen anything like this before. Hundreds of, of criminals were crucified, but no, the earth didn't quake and the sky didn't talk. How can you neglect such a great salvation? You don't have to do anything. You just get to go to heaven because you did not, you counted his blood as worthy. What blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, by the time you get to the end of your life and you have never realized who Jesus was and you let his blood be shed for nothing in your life, then you are trampling the holy blood of God under your feet. Question number seven, Jesus said, Woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And the angels said, he's not here. He is risen because he's alive. Jesus appeared to Mary right there. And he's alive. Question number eight. Why, um, why question me? Ask those who heard. Surely they know what I said. Jesus is telling them, listen, I, I already told everybody who I am. Why you keep asking me? You should know. You've seen the miracles. You know what the people are saying. Question number nine is a wake-up call. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Here's what Peter told you to do, what to say. Repent, each one, and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. See, I don't care how far you are in sin. Your sin can be forgiven. Because here's Isaiah, the prophet, talking. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor his ear so dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. So you've got to get rid of your sins so you can finally see Jesus. You'll be born again of the Spirit of God, and you'll, and you'll understand who he is because the spirit will be telling you once you receive him as your savior you need to repent and repent means turn around go in the other direction and of course we know that many of us in prior times have called upon the name of the lord he answered our prayers and we forgot all about him so if you go to First Corinthians or Second Corinthians chapter six verse two, here's what God says to you: At the acceptable time when you called on me, I answered you. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now, not next week, not next month, but now. So are you ready? receive Christ as your Savior. There's no doubt about who Jesus is. Absolutely no doubt. It's time for you to say yes, yes, yes. 
And that way you don't have to worry about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You sealed your faith in Christ Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will come in and he'll seal you. You'll be wearing the seal of the Holy Spirit. So, for those online, you can either get on your knees, stand up, ask the Lord into your heart, and then you don't have to worry about blaspheming the Holy Spirit anymore. You will be receiving the the sacrifice that the Lord went to the cross to pay for our sin, and you will be set free. I hope you have the courage to say yes to Jesus. For those of you here and over the Internet, save. All you got to do is call on Jesus, and you will be saved. Romans 5, 10. Romans says, as many as received him, he gave you the right to become a children of God. If you're go- if you're where uh, if the president of the United States was your father, you'd be running around telling everybody, wouldn't you? Well, God God is your father through Jesus Christ. Let's go out and tell everybody. But first of all, to tell you must receive. So receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart. Ask him with all your heart. You don't need to pray a prayer that I lead you in. You have to know you're a sinner. Repent of your sin. Ask Jesus to come into your heart and he promises if he, that he'll come in and he'll eat with you and he'll be with you all the days of your life. And he'll stick close to you as a brother. Closer than a brother. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. Thank you for your message, Lord. So much, Lord. Your word is so much, but so truthful, and yet we just love it, Lord, as we read it and study it. So, Lord, I pray today that you speak to those people that may have heard this or even people that listen on down the way on the Internet. Lord God, I pray that you would open their hearts to receive Christ Jesus as their Savior. I pray that they would have a hunger and a thirst for your word, And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, everybody. Love you all.